I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. The red wave is back. And everybody's going surfing. Surfing USA. 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 It's high noon for Tuesday, March 6th, 2021. Follow the podcast on Gab and Parlor at I'm Your Moderator. Or on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. Also, check out www.cancelcotour.com and get yourself a beautiful t-shirt or something. Today is the 55th full day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party in a way that disgraces not only him and his party and the old guard, but the entire country. And the faster this fake presidency ends, the better off the entire world is. And it really is about the entire world. Joe Biden is also the patriarch of one of the nation's most corrupt families. Every single bit of his family is just a wash in moral ruin. And of course, he is also the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever be born, Hunter Biden. Where is Hunter? Still in Venice Beach, I'm guessing. So in the last 24 hours, there has been a red waves worth of news coming out on election fraud. And one of the trigger points for this was Donald Trump's statement about the correction, quote unquote, that the Washington Post made on a story they had run involving direct quotes from President Trump that President Trump never actually said. And the source for these quotes, it seems definite, was a woman named Jordy Fuchs, who is the deputy secretary of state in Georgia under Brad Raffensperger. She's basically one of the only people who could have relayed this information. And the Washington Post and then, of course, other news sources following on quoted the president based on what an anonymous source, an unnamed source, claimed was said. And they believed that there was no recording of this call. It turns out on Miss Fuchs's phone in the trash folder, the recording of the call actually still was there. And you can listen to the call and understand that Donald Trump never said any of the things he was reported to have said. So the Washington Post essentially, and this is what they always do, 
they find people willing to say a version of something that happened. And then they report that person's version all the time, giving that person the cover of anonymity. And everybody believes it. All the other news organizations run with it. And then they call up other people who might know that same source, or maybe they just all call the same source and ask whether or not that source said the thing they said. Now, they can't get down to finding out whether or not Donald Trump said the thing they said. But what difference does that make, right? We're out here trying to disseminate propaganda. That's the state media's job. They don't actually care if the things they say are true because they know that it'll have the intended effect in real time. And then by the time it ever comes out that the story was fake, people will have moved on and they'll all say, ah, well, it doesn't really change anything except for the fact that it does change things. And so I'm going to read Trump's statement and then I got a Lynn Wood statement and then there's a bunch of election fraud news that started dropping right after. And, you know, honestly, it could be random. It seems like there's a pattern here, like that this stuff is uh, each event causes the next as if this was structured or planned. I have always, always maintained since November 3rd that there is no way. First of all, that Joe Biden got 81 million votes. There's no way that Joe Biden won. And there's no way that we wouldn't find out the truth. There are still ongoing investigations. There's still ongoing court cases. This isn't just going to go away. And I think by the end of this episode, hopefully you'll agree with me. So here is Donald Trump's statement. The Washington Post just issued a correction as to the contents of of the incorrectly reported phone call I had with respect to voter fraud in the great state of Georgia. While I appreciate the Washington Post correction, which immediately makes the Georgia witch hunt a non-story, the original story was a hoax right from the very beginning. I would further appreciate a strong investigation into Fulton County, Georgia, and the Stacey Abrams political machine, which I believe would totally change the course of the presidential election in Georgia. And of course, that's exactly right. And as I've said many times, Stacey Abrams is a walking election fraud machine. That is her job. That is what she does. She puts systems in place to rig elections. Fulton County has not been properly audited for vote or signature verification. They only looked at areas of the state where there most likely would be few problems. And even there, they found large numbers of mistakes. We are seeking to find and reveal the large-scale election fraud which took place in Georgia. Many residents agree, and their anger caused them to not turn out and vote for two Republican senators in the January election. The consent decree signed between Raffensperger and Stacey Abrams was not approved by the Georgia state legislature and therefore should be deemed invalid, and the election result changed. Why the governor and Raffensperger ever approved this consent decree is one of the great questions. We look forward to an answer. You will notice that establishment media errors, omissions, mistakes, and outright lies always slant one way against me and against Republicans. 
Meanwhile, stories that hurt Democrats or undermine their narratives are buried, ignored or delayed until they can do the least harm. For example, after an election is over, look no further than the negative coverage of the vaccine that preceded the election and the overdue celebration of the vaccine once the election had concluded. A strong democracy requires fair and honest press. This latest media travesty underscores that legacy media outlets should be regarded as political entities, not journalistic enterprises. In any event, I thank the Washington Post for the correction. He's hilarious. And here's WAPO's correction just for context. Correction, two months after the publication of this story, the Georgia Secretary of State released an audio recording of President Donald Trump's December phone call with the state's top elections investigator. The recording revealed that the Post misquoted Trump's comments on the call based on information provided by a source. Trump did not tell the investigator to, quote, find the fraud or say she would be a, quote, a national hero if she did so. Instead, Trump urged the investigator to scrutinize ballots in Fulton County, Georgia, asserting that she would find dishonesty there. He also told her that she had, quote, the most important job in the country right now, end quote. A story about the recording can be found here and they provide a link. The headline and text of this story have been corrected to remove quotes misattributed to Trump. OK, well. First of all, that's not good enough. Also, the Post didn't misquote Trump's comments. The Post quoted Jordy Fuchs saying things that Trump never said. And if they put it that way, people might actually wake up to how the news works. This is not going to be enough because commies won't see this and they won't care because they still believe that the underlying narrative is true, that Donald Trump attempted to steal the election and that everything after the election was also the same attempt at the steal. They will explain away everything to preserve that underlying narrative. So this doesn't really make a mark on them. And that's fine. Some of them are just lost forever. Okay. They don't care about the lies. They don't care about the cheating. They don't care about the censorship. They are commies. That's what commies do. They support the state media. They repeat the state media's slogans. This is what they do. And as you can imagine, this isn't just about fixing the misquotes and changing some of the text. This says the entire story was wrong. That's a fact. And this did have impact on the January runoffs, which Stacey Abrams also cheated in. And this stuff will come out. The important part of Trump's speech is the fact that he says quite clearly that if an investigation is done and it should be, and he's going to push for it, quite obviously, the result of the Georgia election would be overturned. And it's not just the presidential election. David Perdue would have won and wouldn't have had to go into that runoff with John Ossoff in the first place. This is major. This is huge. As soon as one state turns, they all turn. How long are they going to be able to keep this up? My guess is not much longer. Now, right after Trump made his statement, Lynn Wood came out with a statement on Telegram. And if you don't follow Lynn Wood on Telegram, you should. At Lynn Wood Speaks Truth is his official one. There are other fakers. Don't follow them. 
Lynn Wood speaks truth. And Lynn Wood does speak truth. The voices of the citizens of the state of Georgia are being drowned out by corruption. Their votes in November suffered the same illegal fate. Since November 3rd, 2020, I have discovered a multitude of compelling facts that justify Georgia being described as one of the most corrupt states in the country. The corruption extends from the top to the bottom. State officials, legislators, lawyers, judges, state agencies, boards and departments, colleges and universities to local officials. You name it. And in Georgia, it is corrupt. And then he leaves a Bible quote. Do these people not read the Bible? Question marks. For there is nothing to be covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. And when stories like this come out, you can usually watch as Trump will message, Lynn Wood will message, sometimes Sidney Powell will message, Mike Flynn will message, Dan Scavino will message. There is coordination in some regard on these. It might not be direct coordination, but they're all attacking this same issue at the same time. And they know they're going to win because they know they have the facts on their side. And that is why I have been so, so strong in disbelief and just unmoving in my confidence that the truth will come out. Okay. It's either the truth comes out or we actually have a Nazi regime and people rounded up. There's no, there's no middle ground there. Okay. If this truth is hidden, it's only by force because the truth is the truth. Donald Trump won that election. Hands down, no question about it. If there's any doubt in your mind, I truly don't know why. There's no doubt in my mind. Now let's move to Michigan, okay? Well, not really. I don't want to do that. The Detroit News, yesterday, Beth LeBlanc. Judge rules Benson's ballot signature verification guidance invalid. State Court of Claims Judge Christopher Murray has ruled invalid Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson's guidance issued to Michigan clerks in early October that instructed them to presume the accuracy of absentee ballot signatures. Now, first off, Jocelyn Benson was in George Soros's Secretary of State training program. OK, there is actually a training program teaching potential Secretary of States how to cheat in elections. Got it? Now, presuming the accuracy of absentee ballot signatures is bananas. Basically, there's no point in even having the check if they're just going to presume that they're all valid. Because Benson did not go through the proper rulemaking process when issuing the guidance, clerks do not need to comply with it for future elections. Murray ruled last week. Quote, the presumption is found nowhere in state law, wrote Murray, an appointee of Republican former governor John Angler. Another quote from him. The mandatory presumption goes beyond the realm of mere advice and direction and instead is a substantive directive that adds to the pertinent signature matching standards. The office of Benson, a Detroit Democrat, declined to comment on the decision. The Michigan Republican Party, one of the plaintiffs in the suit, celebrated the decision but noted it came too late to make a difference in the November election. Quote, it was clear from the outset that the Secretary of State had violated election law by unilaterally directing local clerks to ignore their statutory obligation to compare absentee ballot signatures, said Ted Goodman, communications director for the state GOP. 
Michigan law requires clerks to match required signatures on absentee ballot applications and absentee ballot envelopes with the voter signature on file to ensure the person submitting the ballot is the same one registered to vote in Michigan. But state law doesn't define what it means for signatures to, quote, agree sufficiently. Benson on October 6th instructed clerks who were matching signatures that they must perform their duties under the presumption that the signature is valid and uphold the signature's validity if there were, quote, more matching features than non-matching features, end quote. Whenever possible, clerks and election officials were instructed to resolve slight differences, quote, in favor of finding that the voter's signature was valid, Murray wrote. Allegan County Clerk Robert Ganetsky and the Michigan Republican Party filed a complaint on the same day and amended it on December 30th to argue the directive was unlawful. But Ganetsky did not allege that Benson's directive, quote, caused him to accept a signature that he believed was invalid, according to Murray's decision. The judge didn't rule on whether Benson's directive violated state election law, but did say the directive violated the Administrative Procedures Act, the process that must be followed when an agency creates new rules. Quote, nowhere in the state's election law has the legislature in indicated that signatures are to be presumed valid, nor did the legislature require that signatures are to be accepted so long as there are any redeeming qualities in the application or return envelope signature as compared with the signature on file, Murray wrote. Policy determinations like the one at issue, which places a thumb on the scale in favor of a signature's validity should be made pursuant to properly promulgated rules under the APA or by the legislature, he wrote. The Administrative Procedures Act requires state agencies that are developing a rule to better implement state law to go through months of public notices, drafts, impact analyses, public comment, and public hearings. Now, obviously, none of that happened. So the Administrative Procedures Act actually has checkpoints in there which allow the proper process to take place. Jocelyn Benson just overrode that process on her own accord, and no one stopped her. They tried to stop her at the time, but she was able to just kick it on down the road until after the election, right? That's it. Do something illegal and then just hold it up in the legal process until it doesn't matter anymore. That is the pattern in all of these states. I think they're going to find out it does matter. And I think that they're going to find themselves in prison. When a final version of the rule is complete, it is submitted to the legislature's bipartisan joint committee on administrative rules. The commission has 15 session days to take action on the rules before they are finalized and filed with the secretary of state. The Michigan Constitution only speaks to election results, not to the process by which signatures are matched. And the Constitution leaves the manner by which an audit is conducted to the Secretary of State. Quote, there is no support in the statute for plaintiffs to demand that an audit cover the subject of their choosing or to dictate the manner in which an audit is conducted, Murray wrote. Representative Matt Hall, Republican from Marshall, praised the court's decision, calling Benson's directives, quote, clear violations of her authority. If she wants to make changes like these, she needs to work with the legislature or properly promulgate them through the laws we have on the books. In this case, the Administrative Procedures Act. Okay, so again, what this is, is a Secretary of State doing something that's illegal, outside the law, extra legal, whatever you want to call it. 
This is not how it's supposed to happen. And this directly affects the outcome of the election. And we know that, especially in an election where they're sending out unsolicited mail-in ballots to everyone. But they don't care because they know when they do something four weeks before an election, it's very likely not going to be overturned by the time the election rolls around. And regardless, even if it is, they've already processed a bunch of ballots and then they take them out of the envelopes. The envelopes are gone. Oops. Now we can't match anything. I guess your audit's not going to work. That is the process. We have seen that in state after state after state after state. It's a disgrace. It really is a disgrace. Now, the Epic Times had a piece yesterday as well. This is uh, from Jack Phillips. Georgia judge might unseal uh, Fulton County absentee ballots for fraud investigation. A judge in Georgia might unseal absentee ballots in the state's Fulton County so a government watchdog can investigate voter fraud allegations. Henry County Superior Court Judge Brian Amaro said he is inclined to order the ballots unsealed and reviewed by experts hired by Garland Favorito, an advocate of voting integrity, according to a report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Amaro, during a Monday court hearing, said that if the ballots are unsealed, there needs to be a plan in order to make sure they're kept in secret and kept secure. We want to do this in such a way that dispels rumors and disinformation and sheds light, Amaro said. The devil's in the details. And that's great. It's going to slow down the process, which is annoying, but it's good that they're focused on getting this exactly right so that people cannot complain when Favorito finds exactly the results we all know he's going to find. He made the comment after a lawsuit filed in a Fulton County Superior Court contended that fraudulent ballots were cast during the November 3rd, 2020 election amid other alleged irregularities as workers counted votes at Atlanta's State Farm, a State Farm arena on election night. And that's Ruby Freeman. Remember the video, the suitcase under the table with the ballots that they put through the machines over and over and over again. That's it. The Georgia Secretary of State's office dismissed such allegations months ago. The Epic Times reached out to the Secretary of State's office for comment. The judge discussed an order that would prohibit Favorito's group from disclosing their work without permission from the court, adding that he might appoint an official to oversee the analysis. The review of the ballots, according to Amaro, could start in April, as reported by by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Now, again, that's annoying that the judge has to actually look over the results before they are released. That allows for potential corruption or influence. And hopefully this judge, I mean, listen, the judge went this far. Hopefully he's a stand-up guy and that these results will be released as they should. Having someone oversee it, yes, potential for influence. But ultimately, if it makes people trust it more at the end, good. Quote, I can't sign an order until such time as I'm satisfied that the manner and method of review proposed by the petitioners is reasonable, the judge said. Favorito, co-founder of the Voters Organized for Trusted Election Results in Georgia, a conservative group founded in 2006, has blamed both Democrats and Republicans leveraging election integrity for their own benefit. And again, I have no doubt that's true. I've said a million times, Democrats and Republicans, the old guard corruption goes deep. It's on both sides. And I've talked about Republicans that I think are in office due to election fraud as well. Okay. Anyone who has been in their position 
for longer than 20 years, you should assume they are there as the product of fraud, unless they are just really good at their jobs and really honest. And that description doesn't fit too many people. In H.R. 1, the Democrats are trying to take control of the country with a bunch of unconstitutional provisions, Favorito said, according to Politico. In Georgia, the Republicans are trying to solidify their power with certain election provisions in the omnibus bill, which don't benefit President Trump and they don't benefit the people of Georgia for the most part. Interesting quote. In recent weeks, Republicans at the state and federal level have called for a variety of election reforms while calling on lawmakers to reject Democrats' proposals. Former Vice President Mike Pence targeted Democrats H.R. 1 in a Daily Signal op-ed this month, saying that it would, quote, increase opportunities for election fraud, trample the First Amendment, further erode confidence in our elections, and forever dilute the votes of legally qualified eligible voters. Well, I don't know exactly what to make of that Mike Pence quote. I mean, listen, maybe he's somehow on the good side and we actually needed to let all this play out this long this way. If that's true, good for Mike Pence. I don't think it's true. I think that uh, Linwood's whistleblower is probably right about Mike Pence. I think there's enough evidence to be swayed to that side. Uh, it's odd that he's writing these op-eds. Um, maybe the Republican donor class thinks that they can take advantage of the uh, old guard infrastructure and swing the power back to Republicans, even though to most of us, it makes absolutely no difference who, in terms of which party, is in power if the old guard is in power and if we don't have election reform. It doesn't really matter which party is controlling things if they're just doing the bidding of the old guard, deep state, corporations, etc. But the people who might think it makes a difference are the Republican and Democrat donor classes who are looking to have their individual needs seen to, and they actually have the power and influence to ensure that they are. So it's possible that Mike Pence is simply working on their behalf when he writes an article like this. And here's another very interesting piece of news, and this has been developing. Um, This is in the Iowa section on a website called The Center Square, and uh, Ballotpedia, I guess, published this as well. Ethan Rice Yesterday, House Administration Committee votes to consider challenge to results in Iowa's second congressional district. Now, isn't that interesting? So. What is it, four months after the election, four and a half months after the election now? We might have a challenge to the result in Iowa's second congressional district. So apparently challenging the results of an election is okay sometimes. The U.S. House Administration Committee moved to consider Rita Hart, the Democrat, Rita Hart's challenge of the results in last November's election in Iowa's second congressional district, March 10th. The committee voted in favor of considering the challenge and tabling a motion by Hart's opponent, Representative Marionette Miller Meeks, a Republican, to dismiss the appeal. The decision will allow Hart to present evidence in support of her petition to the committee, which will then present a full report to the House recommending who should fill the seat. After the November general election, Iowa officials conducted three recounts of the results in the second district. Secretary of State Paul Pate, a Republican, 
ordered a recount in Jasper County on November 6th and one in Lucas County on November 10th. On November 13th, Hart requested a full recount of votes in all 24 counties in the district. After this recount, Miller Meeks was certified as the winner by a six-vote margin on November 30th. Six votes. On December 2nd, Hart announced she would contest the election before the House Administration Committee. She submitted a notice of contest on December 22nd that said 11 ballots were excluded due to poll worker errors and another 11 were excluded because of unsealed or damaged envelopes, having the voter's signature in the wrong place or having been left in a drop box outside the county. The notice asked the House to invalidate the state's certified results, count the ballots Hart said were excluded, and initiate a uniform hand recount in all 24 counties in the district. Miller Meeks was provisionally seated in the House on January 3rd, and on January 21st, she filed a motion asking Congress to dismiss Hart's challenge of the election results, saying that Hart should have pursued the matter through state procedures rather than filing a petition with the House. After the House Administration Committee announced it would move forward with the investigation, Hart said the decision to help the decision helps ensure that every vote is counted. Quote, at least 22 Iowans legally cast ballots still have not been counted due to a string of errors. We are glad to see the House Committee on Administration take taking the next steps towards ensuring that every legal legally cast vote is counted in this race and that all Iowans voices are heard. Every legal voter in this country has a right to have their ballot counted, and the remedy here is clear. Count the ballots, she said. Miller Meeks said, in Iowa, the votes were counted, recounted, and in some cases, recounted again. Now, Rita Hart is asking Democrat politicians in D.C. to elect her because the voters of Iowa did not. So the language there is basically exactly what we have heard just with the sides flipped. Right. Except for the fact that the Trump campaign is actually asking for the legally counted or the legally cast ballots to be counted and the illegally cast ballots to be thrown out. Naturally, Hart doesn't mention that because the Democrats don't care. They want all the votes that they can find to be counted, whether or not they're legal. And these ones don't seem to be. Again, they had the opportunity to contest this and didn't. And then they took it to the Democrat majority house. If the committee recommends the matter to the full house, the chamber will decide the outcome by a majority vote as provided for in Article 1, Section 5 of the U.S. Constitution. Historically, most contested election cases heard by the committee were dismissed. Out of 107 contested election cases filed between 1933 and 2009, the candidate who contested the election won only three times. The November 3rd election was the narrowest margin of victory in a U.S. House race since 1984 when Francis McCloskey defeated Richard McIntyre by four votes in Indiana's 8th Congressional District. Now, what I'm wondering is how Rita Hart and the Democrats don't realize that what they're doing is destroying democracy and committing domestic terrorism and that they're also involved in a conspiracy theory, a blue and on conspiracy theory. I mean, that's what we're supposed to call it when you question the validity of the election, right? Or maybe that only applies to Donald Trump and Republicans. And that is what we're seeing. It's exactly what we're seeing. At the same time, Democrats are denying any malfeasance in the 2020 election while evidence of malfeasance is coming out. 
They are also trying to overturn a congressional seat based on claims of malfeasance that they didn't even bother bringing up in the proper venue at the time. Trump did bring those up. But courts didn't see them. Courts didn't see the evidence and state agencies didn't turn the evidence over to investigators. They didn't conduct forensic uh, audits. And they have ignored subpoenas as they've done in Arizona. They've delayed. They've lied. They've hidden evidence. And they have been too scared to pursue these claims where they exist. This is top-down power, making sure that no one ever finds out what actually happened in the November election. Again, we saw last week in Arizona, I guess it was last weekend that they were found, but they were shredding ballots, shredding ballots from the 2020 election rather than turning them over to the state senators. Why were they doing that? Did they create all new ballots? Who knows? Why would we trust anything these people do? They shredded ballots that they were supposed to turn over to the Arizona State Senate after refusing to comply with a legal, legitimate subpoena for those ballots. They pushed it down the road as long as they could. They lost in court, and so they shredded the ballots. This is a crime against America. To pretend that me saying that is a conspiracy theory or domestic terrorism or somehow a threat to democracy is insulting. It's insulting to the intelligence of every single person in this country who actually cares about this country and is not a communist. It's impossible to insult their intelligence because a, they don't generally have any except some sort of functional intelligence that allows them to manipulate situations and pretend to be doing a good job on whatever it is they're doing. And B, because they have no idea it's even happening when you tell them how wrong they are, and then show them how wrong they are, they think you are the stupid one. So if that is the high-level intelligence that we are getting from this techno-fascist regime, the state media, the tech companies, the oligarch politicians, we can't even very well call it intelligence, can we? It can't be intelligence if there isn't even any thought behind it. And there is no thought behind it. They are simply repeating the slogans. They set up a process. They knew where the process would be attacked. And they pre-planned the narrative defenses around that process. Okay? They knew how how they were going to push this through over time. They knew how they were going to communicate to the public. They've played these scenarios out. And we know that's true. There's the Transition Integrity Project. There's that uh, SPARS pandemic document that they put out on how the pandemic is going to go from 2025 to 2028. And I'm going to do a series on that on the podcast, I think. Because what they basically did was write like this like novel movie script 
where they talk about how the pandemic is going to go and they give it all these fictional names and fictional characters, but you can pretty much tell who the people are. And the purpose of it is to work through how they are going to communicate all their bullshit to the public. Okay. So when people are saying there's no proof of election fraud, the allegations are baseless. Bill Barr said there's no fraud. CISA said there's no fraud. All of those things are false. There's no thought behind them. People will say them because they think they're true because they've been repeated so many times. They're like, oh, well, it must be true. These people are still saying it, but it's not true. And again, no thought behind it. That's not intelligence. That's repeating slogans and substituting that for argument. And of course, that is no substitute for argument. And that's when they use censorship and force. And I understand that People think I'm insane for still believing that this election result will be rectified. You're welcome to think that. I do not think that. Every time these news stories come out, we see the process progressing. Okay? All it takes is one big election fraud story to break into the mainstream, and it's over. Okay? The thing about doing what they have done, which is... So ironic that they're calling our side the big lie, right? Their side is legitimately the big lie, as defined by Goebbels. It really is. You repeat the thing enough times. In fact, let me just go ahead and read his quote. If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. The lie can be maintained only for such time as the state can shield the people from the political, economic, and or military consequences of the lie. It thus becomes vitally important for the state to use all of its powers to repress dissent, for the truth is the mortal enemy of the lie, and thus by extension the truth is the greatest enemy of the state. Got it? That is exactly what they are doing. The force is not coming from our side. The truth is coming from our side and it is being met with force from the state, from the media, from the tech oligarchs. Which side of this are we on, right? There is absolutely no way that what Goebbels described is what the Trump side is doing. That is 100% what the media side was doing. Now, you see, the truth being the greatest threat to the state in this paradigm means that once the truth comes out, the state can be destroyed. And now I'm not talking about destroying the United States of America. Obviously, that is the last thing I want. I'm talking about the propaganda, state media, the deep state, cabal, whatever you want to call it. Right. That's what can be destroyed when this lie comes out. People will see that the media lied to them. I mean, listen, there are plenty of uh, commies on the left who like think that they're pretty reasonable. Right. And they know that the media is often lying to them, but they never think the media is lying to them when the media is saying the thing they like. Right. They can have the thought, wow, that doesn't sound quite right, but they'll just go with it. They'll just ignore whatever issue they're covering up with their lie because they don't want the rest 
of the narrative to fall apart for themselves. I mean, so they'll just kick those obvious fake news articles to the side and they'll keep the Washington Post or CNN. But what happens when it becomes clear to everyone that election fraud is real? Just a little bit, right? Even one of these investigations, making it fully into the mainstream will be enough to do that because then it's no longer the big lie. Instead, it will be the big liars exposing themselves. How is Brian Stelter going to cover this? How is Jake Tapper going to cover this? They've said the big lie, the big lie, the big lie over and over and over again. I watched, I think last week, Jake Tapper have a struggle session on his show with the governor of Mississippi, where he kept trying to say, like, won't you admit that Joe Biden legitimately won the election? And he went through the bar thing. He went through the Chris Krebs thing. Both of those statements are ridiculously out of context and don't mean what Jake Tapper and his communist media comrades pretend they mean. How are they going to cover it? If in a couple of weeks from now, in April, when Favorito starts doing his investigation, how are they going to cover it when Favorito finds 30,000 illegitimate fake ballots, like legitimately not real ballots? How is CNN going to cover that? How's the Washington Post? How's the New York Times? How are they going to cover it? They can't not cover it. They're going to have to make up some story about it, say that it's a part of a conspiracy theory. I guess they'll continue to say that these claims were debunked and try to delay it for as long as they can. But as soon as people realize that they were lied to about whether or not there was election fraud, there's a whole lot of people in that middle who may be redeemable commies right now who are you know, in my life, probably in your life, people around you who can't understand why you're still holding on to this thing. What are they going to say when they realize that everything they said about election fraud, everything they were told and repeated about election fraud was wrong and that they went ahead calling people mean and evil and conspiracy theorists and terrorists That is what they did. That is something they are going to have to morally account for. I don't have any problem accounting for the fact that I call people communists. They're communists. And if in their head they don't believe they are communists, that is not an issue for me. I don't care what they believe about themselves. They just helped support the overtaking of the United States government by the most corrupt person to ever serve in it directly compromised by China, and they did so knowingly, okay? They have more than enough information throughout all of this time to know what I know. I don't have special knowledge. I just read and think. They chose to turn a blind eye to all of this. They closed their eyes. They covered their ears. They made sure that no one around them could ever talk about this. And if they did talk about it, they would be kicked out of the club immediately. Again, I had a friend whose wedding I was in text me on the afternoon of January 6th, blaming me 
for the Capitol riot. Do you think that he understands there's election fraud? No. Why doesn't he understand that? Because he's an ignorant dummy. Okay. He may have been a nice guy, maybe a talented guy, but he's ignorant as fuck. And I've always known that there was no point ever in the 15 some odd years of our friendship where I ever thought, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about when it comes to politics. Never, not once, a hundred percent of the time I knew he did not know what he was talking about. I have that relationship with so many people in Los Angeles. Okay. So when I get a text telling me that I can't be around your family ever again because of something that you're ignorant about, that's it, man. These people are going to have to account for that sooner or later. Now, first of all, I'm not saying that the thing that happened at the Capitol was good, but I also don't believe that it was Trump supporters that went there to do that. And we have proof that it was Antifa that did that. We have proof that people associated with Barack Obama and George Bush were there. The FBI knows it. Everybody knows it. The National Guard was held off. There's an article today in the Washington Post, and I might be able to get to it. But there's an article today in the Washington Post. Headline, Army initially pushed to deny district's request for National Guard before January 6th. Now, that was a direct request coming from the Trump administration saying that we need National Guard troops here. And the Army refused. In the impeachment trial, the fake impeachment that they held against Donald Trump a month or so ago, they claimed over and over again that Donald Trump did nothing while his vice president was being attacked. That was their story. The truth is Nancy Pelosi did nothing. They were held off because of optics. Who was in control of that? Pelosi, McConnell, Schumer, probably Kevin McCarthy. So every little bit of that story is wrong. And even if it wasn't wrong, even if it wasn't wrong, and I'm not trying to justify what happened that day. But what happened that day looks different if you know that all those people in that Congress that said that they're so very scared are all complicit in an actual coup against the United States of America by stealing an election. Everyone should be in awe of the patience, the grace, and the self-control that Trump supporters have shown throughout this time. They are the side that is armed. They are the side that actually knows what they're doing. And they have not done anything. Even as they watch their country devolve into a banana republic as a result of a coup. Why? Why? Because they have faith that the result and the outcome will be corrected. Otherwise, there would be a civil war happening right now. And let's be realistic. The left has been talking about that for years. It's like it's what they wanted. And of course, on the Soros, Pelosi, corruption, old guard level, that's exactly what they wanted. Because then they could justify all the other heinous shit they actually want to do to people who don't agree with them. And to people who don't fall in line. Again, this is a communist state. This is 1984. This is a dystopia. That's not happening because of the restraint showed by one side. 
not the other side. They're still out there rioting. And actually, I guess suddenly based Ted Wheeler, the mayor of Portland, was on a Zoom call. And I don't think it was a leak. I think it was a a public Zoom call or one that they put out. But talking about how they're going to put an end to the violence in Portland. Oh, really? Why didn't you do that last summer? He was talking about how on Friday night, there was all this violence from Antifa and Black Lives Matter. And it was put down quickly by Portland's police. Last year, they wouldn't allow the National Guard in. They wouldn't activate their police to stop it. And they called the federal forces around the courthouse to protect federal property. And that's all they did. They called them stormtroopers. But now, now that the election's over, now that they don't need the political benefit in the same way, now they can stop the violence. Now the black leaders in town are saying that this actually doesn't do anything for racial justice. Shocker. So all of a sudden you start listening to the smart black leaders in town instead of the BLM communists. And it changes everything. Now Trump's not there to blame for everything. You would have to take the blame. So you stop the violence immediately. Commies. So I am going to skip the uh, the WAPO article. You should go read it for yourself. It was on their front page a couple of hours ago. But again, Army initially pushed to deny district's request for National Guard before January 6th uh, for reporters, of course, because it's so hard to write this story. <laughs> they must need four people on all of these so that they can figure out Like they probably are busy researching everything else the Washington Post wrote about this so that they can like figure out sentences that make it sound like they weren't wrong before, even though, of course, they were. But definitely read that one. And now the one thing I want to talk about, I didn't actually get to it yesterday. And then Tucker Carlson at night absolutely knocked it out of the park. Tucker's monologue was awesome last night. And I know a bunch of people out there don't like Tucker now because he didn't uh, call out election fraud at the right time. I'm with you on that. I am with you on that. But Tucker is still the only person in mainstream media who is putting out proper journalism at all. Does he go far enough for my taste? Of course not. You know, like if it was up to me, he would be saying the shit that I say, but he's not. So now I say it. And I'm not in the mainstream media, so it doesn't work as well. But when Tucker does it, he has millions of viewers. And then his stuff gets shared over and over and over and over again. And so last night he started out talking about how Dr. Fauci is now okay with a three-foot limit for social distancing. And he's acting like new science has emerged. But it has been this way for the entire time. And they're doing it now so that schools can reopen because they found that the six foot distance was just too much of a burden to actually be able to open schools. Because, of course, schools don't have that much space in their classrooms. Schools weren't built with the understanding that sometime in the future, a bunch of retarded communists would be trying to destroy children's lives. So they don't make plans for needing six feet between desks. But now it's only three feet. You know what's crazy? There were countries in the world last year that only ever made it three feet. Shocking, isn't it? 
How come no American gets to hear that from anyone except for people like me and other people on our side? Why is it that not all of America knows that other countries only do three feet and that they haven't had these explosions of death? It's because our media lies and covers it up. Dr. Fauci is a fraud and a liar. He's a pathological liar. He is one of the most evil men to ever grace the earth. And if you can't understand that, I don't know what's wrong with you. He's selling vaccines now that he knows are killing people. He knows. And the vaccine is supposed to protect you, even though it doesn't, and he says it doesn't, from a disease that likely cannot kill you unless you fit a certain physical and age profile. But he's selling them anyway. He's out there on TV selling them, selling them, selling them. He's not saying they might have risks for certain people. And maybe we should take some precautions. He's not doing that at all. In fact, there's, there's uh, studies coming out now showing that there's actually a correlation between people who have had COVID and then getting the vaccine, having a harsher reaction to the vaccine from having COVID before. Isn't that something that everyone should know, particularly with the understanding that so many cases of COVID go untested? Because they're asymptomatic. None of this matters. None of this matters to Anthony Fauci. So is he on there giving us health advice, giving us public health advice? Of course not. Because he has no ability to do that. Partly because he's stupid and partly because he's lying and following orders. If you think Anthony Fauci is a smart man, I don't know what is wrong with you. I really don't. We don't have to pretend that he's smart in a certain field. What proof do we have of that? That he has credentials? Lots of stupid people have credentials. Right? That he has his political job he's been in for four decades? Does that mean he's good at his job? No. Political hacks stay in office because they help a power structure. They support a power structure. They are part of a power structure. Anthony Fauci gets rich personally off of this. He is also the highest paid employee of our federal government. That's shameful. And man, there's so much coming out. So much news coming out right now. I paused for a second and checked Telegram and it's like, man, I could do another podcast right now, but I'm not going to. Here's what to do. Go to the info stream t.me slash I'm your moderator and the articles are all in there. That's always what I do. Everything I read, everything that is relevant, everything I see that links directly to the stories I'm telling are going to be in that info stream. So all the background of the stuff is in there. All right. Two stories that I have my eye on right now. One of them I read before this, but obviously not getting to um, Myanmar, the, the military government in Myanmar right now, who took over the government after election fraud, which is something our military should have done. I'll say that right now, but I have faith that they're probably doing the right thing and that that would have been a riskier move to do it immediately. But that Myanmar government is now seizing bank accounts of George Soros and the Open Societies Foundation because they have discovered links, of course, to the election fraud and, of course, 
to the Antifa-like resistance there. The people that are saying what happened there is a military coup are wrong. They are protecting their country from election fraud as we should be doing. And every other nation touched by this Soros, deep state, old guard nonsense should be doing the same thing. Is it ideal to have a military controlling a government? Of course not. Is it necessary to stave off a coup? Yeah, I'm fine with that. I hope it happens. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parlor at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate. Or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!